0: Good morning, everybody. Howdy. Hey, I'm Alan.
1: I'm Brent. And we're here for episode 41 of AB testing. Woohoo! AB stands for Alan and Brent. It's also the name of a popular experimentation uh, method of comparing two versions or treatments of a product,
0: website, etc. Yes, and uh, it occurs to me uh, for the first time uh, since we had this new uh, drinking game. Here's something I think we haven't talked about previously. We haven't talked about the fact
1: that I just got back from, not just, but last week. I gave my talk on experimentation and A-B testing at Better Software. I feel like it went pretty well. I promoted the podcast. Hopefully, we have a new, a
0: new member of the three. Hopefully. Yeah. Wasn't this one a uh, workshop model? Yeah, it was. Uh, how did three, I, so tell me how it goes. I'm interested. We <laughs> talked about uh, what
1: it was, who was doing it, nobody, uh, what they knew about it, nothing. We uh, played one of the games that I graciously was able to borrow from uh, Ronnie Gavavi, uh who's done a lot of experimentation at Microsoft on how um, your intuition on which treatment is better is probably wrong. And then we emphasized a lot that data trumps intuition, so how to get that data, things to do, ways to do experiments – uh, we talked a little bit about statistical significance and the math that goes into it. We talked about designing experiments. I even went and used Google Analytics to set up an A-B experiment on, uh, on angryweasel.com of just two different web pages and show how – ve- if you want to do very low-scale A-B testing, it's f- how simple it is to set up. And then we also talked about the architecture on how you would do uh, sort of a flighting system to do – not sort of – a flighting system or something to do experimentation on a much larger scale. Examples. We tried some things out. We had a lot of discussion back and forth, and believe it or not, there was enough details and nuance and all that. We talked a lot about the caveats of you know, how to look at the data coming in and different things you can get from this, et cetera, et cetera. That was kind
0: of it. That's one of my uh, favorite discussions: the caveats. Like um, <clears throat> Wikipedia has this fantastic uh, link. If you look up uh, cognitive biases. It's like seven pages of individual biases, and I find I, I, I go back and I look at that frequently and, and judge which of these am I committing today.
1: Have you seen whichtest1.com? You know, treatment A, treatment B. Guess which one's better, and nobody can get like more than two in a row right ever. Right. Uh, test one has pretty much one of those every day from around the industry
0: whichtest test one.com which test
1: one.com
0: very cool i'll be looking that. yeah it's shortly. a pretty
1: cool site i added it to my feed list and maybe it's not once a day it's but it's multiple times a week super interesting what i find is more fascinating or more not fascinating where i get my most learning from that as i look at it and I go huh i wouldn't have guessed that but the comment section below has There's people that don't know what they're doing. A lot of people who actually do know what they're doing who
0: kind of uh, helped me get
1: some insights I wouldn't have been able to get without them. So it's kind of fun. The
0: thing I find fascinating with with particularly Ronnie's explanation of the game, um, last time I saw it was a couple years ago, and he does a really good job for the ones that he's able to address explaining why so that you can learn where your intuition went into mm-hmm. the weeds, but that's very difficult. One of the things I brought up is that uh, experimentation
1: and the the framework behind framework used behind it will tell you which test won, but it doesn't really tell you why. You can use data to get a good idea of what's why, but you don't
0: know why. not initially no, you have to do a lot mm-hmm. of extra digging. But Ronnie has been using that deck for a long yeah, time. Yeah, and
1: he's modified it a lot. Used some other experiments.
0: But I like the Witch Test one because now I can get some non-Microsoft
1: experiments. They're more relevant, or at least at least more recent. But the final thing I got into, in I didn't mention in my previous uh, shortened uh, synopsis, is the idea of building an experimentation culture where everything's an experiment. It's a journey to get there. But when you get a team that has this idea of everything's an experiment. Uh, it's it's a pretty fascinating place to be, pretty fun place to be as far as software development goes.
0: Yes, uh, it aligns with Patrick's test pappy's presentation, where he was talking about ignorance and knowledge. Yeah, and when you are able to create a culture of, of experimentation, where where you essentially only value knowledge that is validated. Yeah. It is pretty cool.
1: It is cool. So I had fun, and I always like talking about uh, with you when I actually do stuff in the data side of the world just to show you I can dip my foot over there. Y'all know. that's uh, I I, I try and prove to you that I really am a generalist, (laughs) specializing generalist. I have my specialties, but I don't mind dipping in deep in areas that I find, not only that I find interesting, but I think are critical to making good software.
0: So now you you have successfully uh impressed me enough on this front. Now what I'd like to see you get to. It is review time. So here's here's your next uh priority. And that's use it. All right. <laughs> Thanks Brent. And we can we, we can start with once a quarter. There's a lot more We could go a lot deeper
1: there, but I don't want to go too far off the books. Hey, you mentioned I'm going to go back to – actually, I'll do a brief announcement and then we'll actually talk about the fact that it is review season. Yep. Uh, I looked up my calendar and just like sometime in the last year, I put a date on my calendar so I would remember to mention it on the A-B testing show and maybe in a tweet. But tomorrow, June 18th, which may be yesterday by the time you hear this – is the twelve year anniversary of my very first blog post. Congratulations. I don't I don't know if it's an anniversary we're celebrating, just more of a, a milestone, but it was on the old MSDN blog site. Actually it still exists. Uh I what was the designer. title? The title of Hi, my, I'm Alan. I you know what? I don't know. I think um I think the title was I'm not a blogger. <laughs> <laughs> That was the title of one of my very <laughs> first few blog posts. And the context was I was about to present at a embedded developers conference on how to use the tools that we had written, the frame, test framework we had written in Windows CE so that ISVs or IHVs, wow. independent hardware vendors, could write tests for their drivers and their and their firmware for uh, Windows
0: CE devices. So Wince was still alive 12 years ago? It feels yes. like... I know, forever. Much longer that it was so, killed. <laughs> so it was around for a
1: while. I, did, I ended up doing a bunch of those over a couple of years. But I think uh, – so I wanted a place to be able to answer post-conference questions and to post slides and samples, etc. So I started it for that. And then eventually I said, I'm going to use this to actually practice writing, learn how to write and be careful because then you end up writing books and shit. And <laughs> life goes crazy. But anyway, 12 years since my very first blog post, which was weird because it was almost – it was like a week after my nine-year anniversary at Microsoft. June, and, a time of many milestones.
0: I started blogging for uh, exactly the same reason. It improved writing, improved communication. Um, I would say, having gone back recently and looked through some of my old stuff, I would say I've achieved that, but my pace is slow. Oh, if, if you
1: go to, if you want a real treat, you can go to blogs.msdn.com, Whack Alan, P-A, and the the a l a n p a. I think the the actual URL has changed as they've gone through different formats, but my old posts are still there,
0: and it's like a child wrote them. Yeah. All right. Yeah, and, and the the other thing, first off, it feels like it's been twelve years since I've written my last blog i've been working on one uh off and on for the last month <laughs> it It's hard to do do all this writing and uh go to school and do work and stay employed and still know what my children look like
1: hey speaking of staying employed yeah it is uh what do we call it now it's it's sort of reward performance feedback uh we separated at microsoft the um the individual discussion on how you're doing with the rewards although they're still kind of tied just unofficially but it's time for rewards and
0: i want to talk a little bit about how i don't even know if it's unofficial it's (laughs) like really what the the thing is is that we're not allowed to talk essentially we're not supposed to or allowed to talk about performance during the uh, reward discussion, blah blah blah. Exactly. So uh,
1: the way I'm on my fourth or so different way we review people at Microsoft, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about it and the games people play and the tools I use to get around that. It's always an interesting time, and even when I, I'm, I'm a manager now of just a few people, but even when I wasn't a manager, I was always invited to be part of these review discussions because generally my role is someone that works across the org. I have a good, ins- I have a sort of a objective insight across the org on how I know more people. I tend, given the job I do, I tend to know m- what more people do in the org than any of my peers. Um, so we had our discussion last week and like every other discussion we've had about people and any team at Microsoft over the last 10 or 12 years I've been doing this was it was interesting and people played games and for the most part the right things happened but I want to talk about some of the games they play what games have you seen people play during these discussions oh
0: I see all sorts of games um, you tell me one and I'll tell you one um, I'll, I'll, I will tell you uh, the game I use most often and that is uh so first and foremost before i go into that you, you ever study the prisoners dilemma yeah right it's 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 the prisoners dilemma that's being played out where <clears throat> there is really no benefit to collaboration i'll say the best uh review uh discussion i've ever had was uh, the last time I was a middle manager and I was able to successfully convince my leads that for the review discussion, they are not to defend their people. What they are to do is to, they are to put themselves in my shoes and assume that their people are part of our business team and we're going to focus on what Needs, what needs to be done going forward, and I, I'm simplifying here. You sure? And you're, and you're being very philosophical about it. So get. But it worked very well. The the people started. Uh, I remember one lead was like, "Hey, that that person really needs consistency on this, this, and this in order to really get to the next level. I have that work. How about we talk about me moving that work to your team, and you have that guy do it." It was very productive.
1: Okay, so let me – I'm going to take over because you're not getting where I want you
0: to get to. I'm going to go there. Let me –
1: it took too long. Okay. Uh, I'll tie this into something else I brought up in my workshop. Um, I've uh, read most of the Dan Ariely books on um, irrational – why people do irrational things. I forget the names. Irrationally yours or something.
0: Predictably irrational is the first book.
1: So um, there's a story in one of those books, I believe. I didn't fact check, but I'm sure I read it there where they did a study where people went to a movie theater and they had two sizes of popcorn available, a small for $3 and a large for $7. Most people bought the $3 popcorn, and when asked why, they all said, the $7 seems pretty pretty expensive for popcorn. It's too much. Different movie theater or same movie theater, different night, they had three sizes of popcorn, a small for $3, a medium for $6.50, and a large for $7.
0: <laughs>
1: Most people bought the large, and when asked why, they said, because it's such a good deal, it's only 50 cents more than the medium. Yep. Interesting the way the brain works. So let me tell you a game I saw, and uh, two ways I know to uh, break this game, uh, but I want to hear, kind of hear what you saw. So the game I saw played is the very similar to that game, where you take, as a manager, you bring in the employee that you... We have this uh, rating scale that goes from 100 is the middle, and it goes down from there and up from there from 0 to 200. That's sort of your scale where we put people on for uh, rewards. Okay. Uh, There is a person from one manager who is above average but not way above average. My ratings are – usually right in line with where they come in. So that's where they're seeing my peers as well. So.
0: In other words, you built bully your peers into two No,
1: no, no. To... no I, 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 don't, I hardly say anything. Okay. Uh, but anyway, this person came in at 200.
0: This guy is a rock star, walks yeah, uh, on water. 200 is, Jesus yeah. looks up to him.
1: Something like that. Got and it. I, and I, I immediately recognized it as the game. Yeah. Because what happens there is generally agrees. It's the talk me. He's not a 200.
0: You'll talk me down to the value I want. And I
1: think he got talked down to a value above where perhaps he should have been. Yep. And then everybody's happy. It's like, okay, I I feel better about this. Same game. Interesting way. I have two ways. One very good way I've done this in the past. But I'm curious what you've done.
0: what, What do you do when you see someone playing that game? So the last time I've really had to deal with that particular game, uh, the best solution that I've had for that is, you know what? We need, we're going to reschedule this meeting. Each manager needs to come in balanced. See, I, <sighs> it's not a great no, one. No, no.
1: I, I think it's a horrible thing because I do not believe that every team has to be balanced. I think there can be better teams than other teams.
0: Oh, I, and I completely agree. But what we do, uh, so once they come in balanced, then we have a discussion around who moves up. Right. so this exercise works exactly the
1: same, or very similar to the previous bucket systems we've had at Microsoft. no matter which bucket system it was of uh, you want to put as far as rewards go, like who are they like? So two ways I've thought this in the past i'll give you the, i'll give you the actual one that works one hundred percent of the time in this case. One way to stop this game is that anywhere where there's a discussion or a discre- discrepancy, anywhere, whether it's by 20% or 60%, if, there, if there's a discussion in the room for even a, a minute on, like, I don't think that's right for that person, that person drops to zero, not permanently, but they get dropped to zero and they're left there until the rest of the discussion's done. So what happens is, this is another game too, but played a different way. What happens is managers come into that room Putting people into the spot, into their bucket, where there would be where they don't expect to have any controversy. Where there's controversy, those things go to zero. And then at the end of the discussion, where you decided where everybody else go, then you can play the is like a game and put them in the right spot where they belong, not where they were put in. So if you put someone in an obviously bad place, you force a hard discussion around that person at the end of the conversation that everybody else has been agreed on. That one works very very well. I have never heard that one. That's
0: a really good.
1: You got to play for managers, play that game. That 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 that's an
0: anti game. And you can even argue it. You can say, "Hey, look, what we want to do is go quickly through the ones we agree on and queue up all the discussion at the end.
1: Let me tell you about another game people play when we talk about the fallacy. Peak in May. The peak in May game means is because we do reward discussions in June, uh, that what you do in July, August, September, pretty much all the way to March or April doesn't matter as much as what you do in May.
0: Yes. Oh, peak in May. Peak in May. I was thinking peak is in like no, peak in Hit. on someone. Yeah.
1: So <laughs> how how do you fight the peak
0: in May game? Um I take that one head on. I go okay, great. He did a great job in May. So remind us all what he did in the prior quarters.
1: I always ask what were the results in the first half of the year? That discussion comes up a lot. Uh, when there's discussion around people, in time there's like controversy, what do they do in the first half of the year? And say, well, they had a really rough first half and blah, blah, blah. I said, then they're not – that's fine. They had a great second half, but they're not 180 or whatever. You have to take the whole year into account. And that's more of a management issue and I tend to – I'm not like uh, – I'm. I have the smallest team in our org. But – I've sat in, I probably sat in on more review discussions because I used to sit in on other teams' review discussions. I probably sat in on more of those than any person in our
0: org, so I can yeah, the, tend to say the right things to make the right things happen. The other thing I think that is wise in terms of how you, how you are presenting that question, you said, What were the results? Because uh, I have seen over and over again, um, and it, it it's part of the discussions uh, I generally do around agile, humans are built. For relative, not concrete results. So you could actually really get yourself a rock star review by tanking, purposefully tanking the first half of the year, so that um, and and then uh, take your manager's feedback to heart and rocket it up back to say normal and the manager is going to basically say number 1 wow i really helped this guy improve and look at the differential even though the raw results at the end of the day was nothing special
1: cool one final challenge to bring up in there here is the microsoft i think probably any company who values who has some agile values in them values collaboration and helping others as being very important, especially at more senior levels. So say I work for you, Brent, Okay. And I'm gonna come to you, and I'm gonna give you, in May, again, peaking in May, I'm gonna give you a bunch of information about how I've helped other people on the team in hopes that you see that as a way to boost me up. How do you know how much I've helped versus my peers? It's like say there's, um, say there's a group of oh. t- uh, of 10 of us in my level band, and you're trying to figure out, you have you, results are more tangible and measurable, but what's intangible and more difficult to measure is how well my influence uh, or how much my influence has helped the team get better, either through uh, gen- general leadership, coaching, uh, diving in and helping others, et cetera. How do you compare what I've done in that intangible area versus my peers?
0: How do you know if I help more than someone else or as much or less? Uh the the only way to really do that is a sucky way. And that's peer feedback. So our our peer feedback system at Microsoft currently sucks, just, to, just comp- to clarify that for the listeners. Oh yeah.
1: The, the 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 system is is I'm gonna give you a I'm gonna send out a list of I'm gonna send out an invitation to give feedback to all the people I know who will say good things about me.
0: Oh and and yeah, because you know, in addition, even if someone had something not good to say about you, they're not motivated. Right. Like the, the last two, the last two review cycles, my my entire team has gotten a hundred percent strongly agrees in all their peer feedback, and I think people are like, "Well, I don't want to have a discussion with this guy's manager, so I'll just do five, 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 right. five. Um What was the question I was asking? Oh, how to deal with this? The the other general strategy that I see is um it's the lifeboat game. So when you're talking about collaboration against your peers, it's more about um sorting it by who pissed off others the most because that's clearly visible versus who Not benefited the most. Not always. I, it's I think not there, always, but there it's are plenty ways. Visible.
1: Plenty of ways for me to sabotage your career for the benefit of mine without you knowing. Oh, for sure. Oh, the game of throwing people under the bus. Uh, oh, so yeah. Let me tell you what I've done to combat this in the past, and in the I haven't done it on this team, but if I stick, if I stick around, perhaps we will. Is uh, our, we don't stack rank anymore at Microsoft. I should clarify this. Managers don't stack rank their teams as part of the review process. One thing, say I have, I'm the I'm the leader of a team and I have like 15 people or 20 people or some manageable number of people in some level band and I want to, un- I don't, I have a good idea of their output but all the intangibles uh, as much as I pay attention to them day to day, I want to get an idea of how much they help each other. What I do is I have every single one of you stack rank That your peers and and you, so say I'll I'll do ten for an even number. I ask each of you to stack rank the ten of you, along with your peers. So you get I get an idea of where you think you fit in, and I get an idea of where you think others are contributing to the team. When I consult, and this is a heuristic, I'm going to pull these things together and look for surprises. If I see one person consistently at the top, I go. And and I thought they were pretty good. I'm now, yeah, they are awesome. And the rest of the team thinks they're awesome. And that's actually very, very important to me. The same And the same thing at the bottom. And then surprises are interesting. That tells you where someone's playing the game. Like if I think, like Brent, I think you are the best person on my team. And then I do this little exercise where I have you and all your peers rank you 1 through 10. And you end up at the bottom of everyone's list. I go, wait a minute. Brent's nice to me, but I think he's an asshole. (laughs) And the opposite can happen, too, because managers, again, through the same uh, irrational behavior, uh, I can think – I could have flipped the bit on you. I thought, you know what? I don't know that Brent's contributing. He gets – work gets done, but – and he says he's helping others, but I don't believe him. And to get past the, the it's anecdotal. It's, it's, it's subjective data. But when I see you show up at the top of everyone, everyone's list, it forces me to think, you know what? Maybe I was wrong. i gotta, I got to figure out what I'm doing wrong here. There's a ton of value in that exercise. And it tells you who's playing the game versus who is truly valuable.
0: I don't know about playing the game, right? It, it's essentially what you've essentially done is, is – ...kind of created a source of, of data to help battle intuition.
1: It's a cheap way to handle the
0: fact that our peer feedback system is pretty much non-existent. I have used that technique. And the surprise situation where where you think I was your rock star... ...but the rest of the group thinks I'm sucktastic... ...I have found seven times out of ten that that is an indication of a hero in the org. Um, because heroes uh, generally damn the torpedoes. Yep. Nope, I'm here to get things done. The rest of you, get out of my way or I'll stomp
1: on you while on my way there. Yeah. Um, so the thing I don't like is, uh, just to close on this a little bit, is with a lack of a peer feedback system... There's a little bit too much weight and responsibility and error proneness of having the manager of a large team just figure out without much data where everybody belongs, not just on output, but on output and collaboration and, and growth.
0: The people discussion uh, that I went through for um, my team was much simpler uh we we have a team of about 30 people and uh the goal was each each manager went in with three impact so you said zero to two two hundred i believe yeah you can think of us as having zero to two okay okay and we were encouraged to discuss business results and just simply listen. So the, the, the decision is mine. But um, the listening part is uh, my peers tell me what they observe with that individual that I'm not observing. I don't have to change my score. I can keep it the way it is. Um, but we go in with those three values it, and even our rewards were at those, the, at three distinct setting of the values, and it will bubble up to my manager to do the differentiation, and then to his manager to do the differentiation. Too complicated. It's simpler than than the system you've been going through. It really is. I just sit there and I talk about my guys. So it's, it's, to it's better.
1: It's better for me to work for someone. Who can speak better of me, regardless of the work I do? Yes, so that's 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 the lead I should gravitate towards. Absolutely, the one who likes me the most.
0: <clears throat> All right, career, um, career tips from Brit. <laughs> no, but that's that's a true technique. It is right the um, in in these models, right? You have to be able to defend against if you're not the most charismatic guy in the room you better have techniques to defend against that guy. Um, so here's one gaming system that I would love to see how how you've dealt with. Yeah. Um, we'll say it, the adjective-only manager, which is, doesn't communicate results, just communicates or spews out a chain of adjectives. My guy is a rock star. The developer says this is the best dude ever. That sort of thing. I know you've ha- you've experienced <laughs> had, that guy.
1: I, I, I was reminded of our drinking game. The the uh, we've talked about this before. Drinking game mm. because for a while in our people discussion, the description of everyone started off with "he's a great guy" or "she's a great she's a great woman." You know, like, right. uh, and it was, HR uh, rep stepped up to ban that phrase from the discussion. All right. I think we have time for um, a little bit of answering of questions. So let me reach deep into the mailbag. Always good to have a (laughs) mailbag. Steve Rowe. Thornkin? Thornkin. What is Uh, Thornkin?
0: I actually asked him of this. Of course you did. And he said... um, that was his handle when he started way back in the day on BBS's. That is hilarious. <laughs> and, and when he told me that, because I spent a lot of time on BBS's. Oh, uh, me too. And I'm like, I'm wondering how many of the three don't even know what the hell that is. Um, but I was like. Is Steve old enough to have spent time on BBS? That's but apparently he, lo- he looks young. He does. There
1: used to be a, a paper, a free newspaper called uh, Computer User or something in the in the Northwest. I used to pick it up, and there were articles in there, lots of ads for computers. Um, but in the back was a whole list of phone numbers of all kinds of different BBSs, and I used to kind of go through there and and. Try some out and some were really lame and some had stuff and then I found the um a friend of mine at MIDI my company before I worked at Microsoft, uh found me, I forget the name of the BBS, but in this BBS I could actually get to a thing called the internet. But this is this was I guess mosaic was just coming around, but I could go to Gopher and search for things. And, okay. And search <laughs> was so slow. <laughs> it was really bad but a memory so the reason i brought up thornkin is thornkin is steve Rowe's name on our slack channel uh one of the three o-n-e-o-f-t-h-r-e-e at slack.com so anyway steve asked a question you might you might think that gee i thought this was the mailbag thing and they're just randomly talking about bbs's but that's (laughs) the way we roll uh Steve asked about what the role of program management is in unified engineering. Uh, what functions do they serve, and what uh, what shifts to development? Right, as part of
0: that. What so, what work uh, the, uh, is currently on a program manager's plate that moves to dev?
1: Tangent time. Yeah, totally forgot this at the beginning. I'm very very sorry. But speaking of unified engineering, yes, I cheated on you. <laughs> again. It happened. Sorry.
0: <laughs> no, I'm fine. Yeah, I
1: um I strayed. Okay, but I had a good time and I do it again.
0: As well you should.
1: I uh, was a guest on the testing show this week for their podcast, unreleased at this point, so I'll mention mm. it again when it comes out, talking about, I wasn't sure what it was about at first because uh, Matt Heuser referred to it as concurrent engineering, but he meant like combined engineering, unified engineering, you know, the, the phrase works. It's doing, the activities are all happening concurrently. And we talked about a little bit about that. So unified engineering reminded me that I forgot to mention it earlier. So shout out. Uh, Michael Larson, Justin Norman, uh, Percy. It's on the testing show. Perzy ah, Ababa. Okay. And Matt Heuser. We had a, a good little talk about as as good a talk as you can have at an even earlier hour than this. Uh, yeah. Uh,
0: if they record at 8 their time, that's 5 yours. Yeah, I did a 5 a.m. Uh, oh, talk. Boy.
1: So answering Steve's question as if you thought we'd never get there. Brent. On a unified engineering team, what the hell do program managers do?
0: It, the role of a, of a PM should be uh, essentially get more customers, identify the features, the requirements, the opportunities uh, that will acquire more happy customers for the feature set of that team. That's it in a nutshell they they should not not be doing schedule management um they may have a role in certain design functions but even then uh, if you have a designer i would prefer to go talk to those guys than to program management in a nutshell they're they're to take on the the customer focus wing of software development.
1: I like the idea you brought up, they don't own the schedule. From an, uh, from an
0: Agile point of view, uh, those familiar with the, the role of a PO, product owner, mm-hmm. uh, I think the, they're on a unified engineering team. You could pretty much just look up any definition of a product owner and be pretty well...
1: So that's you jumped way ahead. I was going to talk about uh, and it's a good thing, because okay. so I was going to talk about schedule a little bit and, and what happened there, and dah, 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 dah. And then I was going to make a profound statement and say, or uh, a profound question and ask Brent, do you think the PM role is moving to much more of an agile project owner role?
0: Yes. Product owner role? And, and I, I do, think you're right. I do my best to push it there. I don't think it's moving there. At least in my world, it's not moving there accidentally. So, so let
1: me tell you, in the Skype consumer org, that's the role of a PM. It's a PO. We have product
0: owners. Yep. Uh,
1: like it. Like it. My team is still a little bit uh, in the old world of project management, which is interesting because I will tell you, I don't have any problems Not putting laundry on the table. Love the product. Love the team. But There comes a point when you're moving as we're moving, we're PM in the old role tends to get in the way a little bit. It does,
0: it does, and and they should be enabling. They are PM is another function that of of um, command and control that's still trying to keep itself alive. It is so. I think
1: our our good friend uh, Jim Moore. Uh, once described the role of test or often described the role of test as the remainder dev do the implementation and coding PM do the design and scheduling and the remainder is done by test, uh, whatever and other, you know, dev and PM may pick up more of that, but test does the remainder. A unified engineering team, the engineering team owns scheduling and, and implementation and testing and quality and deployment, etc. The PO you could think of as the new owner of the remainder. Uh, no. The PO, I like, I like the idea of the PM moving to the PO. Yes. It's a distinct set of stuff that a PO does. It's not the remainder. Right. Uh, the, pro- the transitional problem is, as bluntly, we have too many PMs. Yes. So in, And the, we don't need as many PMs as we have for the PO role. So, I want to have them pick up the remainder purely as job security for my friends still stuck in that role.
0: Yeah, and I'm going to say screw that.
1: <laughs> I'm well, going to say screw that in the long run. But the, that's, that, the reason I brought up as the remainder is because there's a transitional period in, similar to how there's been in tests where testers have figured out, former testers have figured out where to sort of belong in the new world, and most of them have. And I guess this, in the same way, we had to go through it. Uh, PMs to figure out where they belong in that world too.
0: I completely agree. The uh, I'll walk through. Um, so I first encountered this 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 PM drama about five years ago when when I went to Bing and, and as as uh, I wrote on my blog post um, at Microsoft the UE trans. Uh, uh, transformation started in Bing, uh, literally just a month before I joined. And one of the, uh, I befriended several PMs there, and there was a period where they were confused in terms of what value they had, and then some started focusing on uh, customer stuff and, and started succeeding on this, but even those guys felt that it wasn't going to persist, Right, the, um, because a lot of the data that they were looking at, so Bing's rich in data, and a lot of the data they were looking at was essentially which customers are we pissing off. They were focusing on DSAT, not CSAT. And they're like, I don't know what I'm to do because we're busily building up all of these great data tools, and shortly the dev will be able to figure out what's pissing off customers readily without me. And I'm like, right, and that's the way it should be, but dev can't focus on what are the new opportunities that we have no code for, right? That's what you should be doing. That's, you should be designing A-B experiments. You should be thinking through what are opportunities that we can either grow our market or increase revenue from our existing market. And... Um, use your quality intuition skills to generate a list of opportunities that we can run through and test very quickly. I agree. I agree. And so what that means,
1: and it goes into Steve's third question about shifts to development or shifts to the members of the, the unified engineering team is that there are some old, some skills, some tasks, activities Some activities previously done by PM belong on the dev team. And like you thought the devs didn't want to do testing. They don't want to do PM crap. It's more efficient for it to be there. And it further, to me, it further emphasizes the need for generalizing specialists and specializing generalists on your unified engineering team. Yep, Some people are going to be good at different things. Some people... Just want to be told what to do Some people want to help figure out what to do There is room for all of those In fact you need all of those You need a mix of skills And a mix of interests To have a successful unified engineering team I think it's much more efficient When you start moving a chunk Of that previously owned uh, Of the activities When you move a chunk of the previously Owned activities from PM To a unified engineering team So I'm, I'm full behind that I don't know exactly how that transition happens because right now, um, unfortunately, in most parts of Microsoft, the PM role is much about wanting to get their thumbs in a lot of different areas and having that wide exposure. The program management role is a lot about I coordinate, I I schedule, I. No, you don't. (laughs) No, you don't. (laughs) I think I think it's the next step. I think it's in a team like Microsoft or our organization like Microsoft or in a team structured like these Microsoft orgs with it's not like we have like a 1 to 1 PM to dev ratio but we I I would say in general we have far more than we need. Uh, I would And we need to think far, (laughs) far more. And I think that's the next step in our evolution as a company. We've made a lot of of strides in evolution how we make software. Uh, I'm across most orgs at Microsoft. I'm uh, very proud. I talked to um, Noah Sussman. Shout out! Thank you! Thank you! Thank you again, Noah. Noah was at Etsy. He helped. um, He helped take Etsy uh, from sort of the shipping weekly, monthly to continuous deployment. Uh, he knows what he's doing, and I talked to him about what we we're doing. Wanted to get his feedback, and and I feel like we're actually making software like a real company on my team. I'm very excited about that. I like, oh my god, we're doing it right. We're getting there. Yeah. Very exciting for me. And I think, um, despite despite uh, I don't want to throw our PMs under the bus, they mean well. But I think the next stage in the evolution of engineering at Microsoft, at least, is to evolve that PM role into something more supportive of an of a efficient unified engineering team.
0: One of, the, one of the PMs that I worked with a lot in Bing um, left Teams four years ago, and he asked me to come and, and help uh, train up his current team on agile practices, in particular Kanban. And I met him a couple of months ago. I, I happened to do a presentation for HR. Um and he was in the room. And he's like, dude, we need to sync up. I've gotten my whole three hundred person org executing using Kanban. And um it's the happiest I've seen him. <laughs> right. It's it's the PM role, when when they simultaneously do things, let go of command and control and stay consistent on maximize business value and customer value, it ends up being a lot of work for them. They keep themselves busy. You're able to prune off the, the crappy folks. And when we get rid of command and control, right, uh, they become um, – so in PO. You know the role of acceptance testing? hmm So what is an acceptance test in a scrum model? The PO does the acceptance test. Okay. Do they do any testing? Sure. No. None at all. None. None. This is something that is very, the, the, the best acceptance test, the product isn't even there. So the role of the PO, right, when when you're doing Agile, the PO sets down and says, these are the outcomes, these are the use cases I want solved. And then uh, we'll generate a a definition of done that is not ideally not framed in requirements. No, I I, I get that. Right? Yeah. Well, so then um, the dev team wants to claim that they're done, and so they do a, uh, they, they sit with the PO. The best POs will do a bunch of precision questioning around how did you assure that this fulfilled that requirement? The worst POs will open up the product and retest it themselves. The, until it has gone through that acceptance review and it's more of a procedure. Alan, explain to me, so this this particular situation, uh, the outcome was it needed to uh, uh, scale out very high, right? And then let's say I mad, it, it needs to scale out to end instances of whatever's important to your team, okay? Okay. How did you prove it did that? I uh, launched a bunch of VMs and N VMs
1: and deployed and it was fine. For how long? Uh, just like a minute. What's th- right. Yeah. <laughs> and so and so the That is and, and I I don't struggle with that from the idea of like that's the right thing to do. I struggle with that is those I was talking before about the transition from PM to PO. Most of the PMs I know can't become that p o it's a different person they can't
0: there are there are several that that I am aware of that are working in Mo- several others are, are let me
1: put it this way I think it's a difficult transition
0: the the thing I'm addressing because the one pattern that I saw on my last team when when p m started going through this thing um, that it literally was pm becoming the remainder. And I, I, I saw it from day one, the the codependency loop being reconstructed. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. And, and I would go to PMs and say, when you are signing off on this thing, you should not even have the product in the room.
1: I, I, I see where you're coming from. And, and there's an interesting parallel here. A lot of teams at Microsoft... Uh, when moving to the Unified Engineering, they decided that, okay, most of you testers are now data scientists. And some of them embraced it and, fi- and and figured it out and became really good data scientists. And a bunch of others are just waving their hands around trying to figure out what it means. I yep. see the same thing happening in the PM to PO. Uh, some will get it and embrace it and be excellent at it. And there'll be a bunch more that kind of wave their hands
0: and try and figure it out what it means. On my current team, uh, the majority of the... PMs, uh, there are, I would say it's 75-25, 25% are still holding on with white knuckles to the old world, but the majority of the PMs that I'm, I'm working with, um, they're coming to me and say, hey Brent, I wanna I want to sit with you and see if we have the data, because I have this idea for a business opportunity, and I want to see if the data... Sort of aligns with this intuition, and uh, for example, there's there's one new uh, feature that we're going to fund in Azure that directly came from me and this one PM working together, and realizing that yeah, it does look viable. Um, he then uh, I then pulled in a list of internal customers on Azure. And he's now going through and doing a road show and and testing out whether or not the internals. You just said he was testing. He's (laughs) testing out whether or not the internals, whether or not this would be a valuable thing to those guys.
1: Remember, Brent, words have meaning. They do. (laughs) Hey, we're out of time. Uh, Fun episode 41. It was
0: (laughs) a fun 41. Next one's up is 42. Alright, I'm Alan. I'm Brent. And we'll see you next
1: time. Bye.